What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. We are back and looky here. We have flipped the calendar to March. It is my favorite month of all of them, not just because of all the hoops, but hey, there's everything going on that you could want really in the world of sports. The NFL never seems to go out of season. Baseball allegedly supposed to be starting up. Hockey and basketball on the professional level winding down. Uh, The golf gets good because it comes to my state, the state of Florida, not the state of confusion. And it is also my birthday in this month. A little personal reveal on this edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am merely the somewhat competent host, TJ Reeves. He is the guy that you're here for. The owner, the operator, the guy that you read all the time. John Lewis is back aboard, uh, a.k.a. Paulson. Is he Paulson? Is he John Lewis? I can't even keep it straight myself all the time on this. Good to be back with you as we head into the month of March. How are things? Things are going well. You know, uh, there's a a key reason why they have the NCAA tournament in March. Uh, It's to distract all the adults from their taxes coming in (laughs) April. (laughs) You know, you unknowingly rang my bell with that because the accountant has been ringing my bell with the email and the phone calls on where is your stuff. So you make a good point uh, on that. But the other thing I thought you were going to say, too, is the reason why they do it uh, as well in March and, and at the beginning of March is they understand if they don't want productivity at work, in particular from those first two days, you want it to be in March, not an important month necessarily, because I still am convinced, not unlike the, those that want a national holiday for the day after the Super Bowl on Monday, I have been championing John Lewis for years, years that the Thursday and Friday of the NCAA tournament should be national holidays. I realize not everybody is as big a college basketball fan as you are a Super Bowl or NFL fan, but there are millions and millions and millions that engage on those two days and there's nothing getting done at the office. It seems like if you are having work that day uh, and it, and it gravitates to even the non-sports fans, like the secretary at the office always seems to do so well in the office pool 
because the rest of us think we know and we don't know. And the secretary that's picking on team colors and nice nicknames and things like that. And like my wife cleans up on this and she rarely watches any of it because she like picks off of the nicknames. She picks off of relatives that live in certain parts where the teams play. Oh, I'll root for Uncle Joe's team or, oh, that, that's uh, Susie's team. That, that, and they seem to do better, but they engage. And so I'm, I'm just saying here as we begin on the podcast, maybe those should be national holidays. Maybe. Well, you know, I've only been sick once uh, in my adult life, like flu, COVID, any of that, you know, uh, and the, the worst sick I've ever been as an adult happened to be the first Thursday of the NCAA tournament. It was an incredible coincidence, right? So I missed class. It's the only time I ever missed. Uh, I, I did some, uh, some of that uh, uh, Cal Ripken stuff in college. I was always there. But the one time I missed class in college, uh, I, it was I got sick on the first day of the tournament and I got to watch oh, wow. the whole thing. I was going to say you got to see all of it when it was uh, when it was going on. You just yeah. jogged me on something. And man, I'm getting old. By the way, uh, we should make mention, however you found us, social media link. You found us through John's site, sportsmediawatch.com. You can follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. You can follow us and subscribe. It will come automatically to you, usually early in the week. We suggest you do so. And, John, I know you join with me. Uh, some people have contacted us on, hey, I love the podcast, et cetera. Write a quick review on Apple Podcast. Go in under Apple Podcast. Uh, Apple Podcasts are available uh, not only with uh, your device, your iPad, or your iPhone, but you can go in online even if you don't have an Apple device and you can leave us a review. Just go in under Apple podcast and leave us a quick review. Take two minutes, take 90 seconds to say, Hey, we love it. And hit the, uh, and hit the button to post a review. Give us that review and more people will see it and more people will find it because it, it bumps up in the, uh, in the rankings on them. So we suggest that you just jogged me about something that I had not really even contemplated again for years that I still remember this was probably my junior year, probably maybe my sophomore year, but my junior year at the former Memphis State. It is March of that year. My mother had come to Memphis from Florida to visit me, birthday month, and I, like you, got the flu right around. It had been going around, I guess. I got it right around the start of the NCAA tournament. And I'll tell you what else I remember. In the four years I went to college in Memphis, it basically never snowed except for that day or two that I had the flu. My mother was there. The NCAA tournament was starting. Memphis State was involved. Then Memphis State in the NCAA tournament. And there was snow coming down. Snowflakes the size of pintos were coming down. Not common for Memphis, Tennessee in March. So uh, you have jogged me about being ill. NCAA tournament, birthday month, snow and college experience all being wrapped into one right here on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. I thought I would share that with you. Oh, you know, then it uh, makes it all worth it, right? You know, that's, that's, the, that's the goal. Yeah, and the other thing is I, I can't, I believe at least for a day or two, I wasn't functioning well enough to enjoy the 16 games all in the same day that are coming, 32 games over two days uh, that we look forward to and that we're anxious to be around. So we'll get more into uh, some of the things that we're looking ahead for. First of all, let's go back and take a look a little bit at what happened this past weekend. The running of the latest, the 64th version of the Daytona 500 took place on Fox. John, give me some insight 
uh, on the broadcast. Uh, Tony Stewart now in the broadcast booth, as you were making mention of last week, along with Clint Boyer and the venerable Mike Joy, who's been there from the beginning as the play-by-play guy. So while the race was back now nine days ago, the ratings have finally come in. I know you want to hone in on that, hone in on the race, et cetera. Go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, the ratings bounced back. It was the highest rated Daytona 500 in three years and the most watched in three years. But, you know, we're talking about a 4.7 and 8.9 million viewers, which, you know, not too long ago would have been cause for alarm in terms of how low the numbers were. Uh, realistically, for a Daytona 500 that's run as scheduled to have less than a five rating and fewer than nine million viewers is a big deal, right? I mean, it's tough with the ratings discussion because you're talking about a three-year high. You're talking about a number that is on par with some NBA finals games. But that's only because your ratings have tanked like across the board outside of the NFL. It's only in that context that less than a five rating and less than nine million viewers for the Daytona 500 isn't a tremendous disaster, right? Like if you go back the year Dale Earnhardt won it, Dale Earnhardt Jr. won it in the rain opposite the Winter Olympics, and it was like, you know, long delays. And it was like, whoa, a 5.6 rating and 9.3 million viewers. Wow, that's horrible. And this was a race that was run as scheduled, finished on time, 4.7, 8.9. I know we're talking about the difference of eight years, but it just, it says a lot about, you know, when I first started doing the site, the first year I did the site, the Daytona 500 had a 10.1 rating and 17.5 million, right? Mm. I mean, it, it's it's staggering to see how, how different the numbers are for these events. So what I'm also curious about, they raced at Fontana, California, the second official race of the season. Did it drop off even more dramatically? I would think it had to drop off some. It usually does. Did it drop off even more dramatically uh, as we await what those numbers are? Well, it was a 2.6 rating and 4.57 million viewers, which is down from last year's second race of the season, which was also at Daytona. Remember, it was supposed to be at Fontana, and they had it at Daytona because of all the California restrictions. So uh, it was down from last year's second race of the season, but obviously by today's standards, I mean, it was the most watched sporting event of the weekend. It was the most watched sporting event of the weekend in adults 18 to 49, which, you know, Keep in mind, Daytona was not the most watched sporting event of the day in 18 to 49 or 18 to 34 or 25 to 54 because the NBA All-Star game did better in all those demos. But this past weekend, Fontana was number one in 18 to 49. I think the NBA would have taken 18 to 34. Let me just double check. Uh, and the NBA did edge it in 18 to 34 with the uh, Mavericks and, and Warriors game on ESPN. But, you know, when it comes down to it, The ratings discussion that we're having is complicated because if you are comparing today's ratings to yesterday's ratings in the same sport, it's a terrible story across the board. Other than the NFL, everyone is doing historically poor numbers. It's just unbelievable how how much the erosion has, has hit everybody. But if you're just looking at the rest of television, guess what? In 18, to, in 18 to 49, that's the key demo in all of TV. There were only two shows all of Sunday with a higher rating than that NASCAR race. One was American Idol at a 0.93. The other was World News Tonight at a 0.75. Mm. All right. So, you know, by the way, and this is interesting. This is all based, by the way, on Showbuzz Daily. The top show 
on Sunday in 18 to 34 was world news tonight. Wow. That makes you think that's a glitch or was that the lead in from basketball? Maybe. Well, remember there's like a, a big European war, some psychopath Correct. threatening nuclear weapons and everything. So that probably has something to do with it. But I mean, even, even with that, it's, that's pretty staggering. 18 to 34. Now there's was the lead in the NBA to the world news. Yes, tonight exactly. on Sunday? You're okay. right. You're right. So, the lead in was the NBA. Uh, but you know, um, still top show of the night in 18 to 34, but, higher than American Idol. And and say again for American Idol to have like a 0.9 rating in its heyday, that that would have been viewed as as yeah. just uh, the aftermath of, of destruction. Because right. I, I mean, they they easily had what a 10, 15 rating every week in the heyday, right? I'm yeah. just guessing off the top of my head that to now hear 0.9 is what you shared with me. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, everything has collapsed in TV. And so that's why when you look at the ratings, realistically, you can't say NASCAR is doing badly. You can't say Daytona did badly. You can't say the NBA All-Star Game did badly or that the NBA Finals did badly or that the World Series did because all of these events remain dominant in TV. But I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, when you're talking about going from comfortably double digits to even in the leaner years of the 2010s, they were still getting a six, a seven, even a five. And now you're having a race that's run as scheduled. No rain ends at right the sweet spot, you know, six o'clock, 645, and it gets a 4.7. Obviously, by today's standards, that's a good rating. I mean, but it's it's it, it's hard to to concede that that's a good rating, a 4.7 rating for the Daytona 500. It's impossible is, to feel like is, that's a good rating. This is the new world. This is the new viewership world, figurative world sense of what is what is the American public in particular, what we talk about all the time, what are they interested in and watching. And live sports is a big part of that, a big driver on that. And that kind of segues into another topic here with John Lewis, sportsmediawatch.com. And that is the bidding wars in progress. Uh, look, it's not confirmed unless something happens after we release the podcast here for this week. It's not confirmed, but it's apparently all but done that Troy Aikman will depart uh, the NFL on Fox coverage for Monday night football uh, on ESPN. Play by play partner to be determined. Aikman will leave after 20 years in the booth uh, with Joe Buck, by the way. Uh, as his partner, will Buck go with him? Will it be Al Michaels coming back to Monday Night Football? Will it be someone else? John, what are your thoughts on all of that as it begins kind of a carousel in the bidding war of who ends up in what spot? Go ahead. Well, the Aikman hire is a big deal for ESPN. They obviously have not had the same level of analysts that the other networks have had. I think Lou Riddick is very good but realistically you want that star analyst and ESPN has not had that. They tried that with Jason Witten and that was a huge Russell Westbrook style failure for them. So ultimately, you know, they need an actual marquee star. Troy Aikman is that he is a, an institution. He's the biggest hire ESPN has made in a long time, you know? And so for them, that's a big deal. If they can somehow get buck, I don't know, boy, that'd be something. Buck is Fox. He is the face and voice of of, of Fox Sports. And uh, he would not have the same roles at ESPN. What, are they going to immediately kick out Carl Ravitch from Sunday Night Baseball? Like, immediately? (laughs) I mean, goodness gracious, you know? Um, So, 
uh, look, I, I think I, I don't know what Buck's going to do because he could easily stay at Fox. I mean, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, it's a great partnership, but Joe Buck and Greg Olson can be a great partnership too, you know? Um, and uh, so, but if, if they were to get Buck, that would be something. And, you know, Fox, Buck needs Fox more than Fox needs Buck because they've got Joe Davis there and Joe Davis is Joe Buck, but 20 years younger. I mean, you know, that's just the way it kind of works in the industry, right? Uh, so I think ultimately it'll be very interesting to see what Joe Buck does. I, I don't know that ESPN makes a ton of sense unless they're backing up the Brinks truck. And, you know, Joe has said in the past that, you know, he's, his sports isn't his life. So maybe the ability to just do Monday night games and have the rest of the day, you know, your weeks to yourself while making more money would actually be like the greatest thing ever. Like, I mean, we, okay. we, can I just My, say quickly? Oh, sorry. I, no, I was go ahead, finish. Say, we forget that this is all a job mm-hmm. and that it requires a lot of travel and a lot of research and a lot of work. And most people want to just kind of relax. So I don't see any reason why it wouldn't, you know. And to that point, I was going to kind of bring this up. And so you finished up on exactly what I was going to bring up anyway, that after you've been doing it for 15 years or after you've been doing it for 20 years, and by the way, he's been doing Major League Baseball in the World Series for 25 years now, plus on on Fox as their guy in the postseason in the World Series that you go to, maybe you're tired of doing that all the time. I would find it hard to believe that he would walk away from the A position, the pole position of every big baseball game down the stretch. Basically, he's doing on Fox and he's doing the postseason split coverage on a league championship series. But every World Series game he's doing, I find it hard to believe he would walk away from that to walk to ESPN to not even be involved in baseball and only do the NFL. Because remember, uh, people know this somewhat you and I know it better but I know the I know the storyline he's the son of Jack Buck the longtime radio voice of the St. Louis Cardinals and it is ingrained in him about the baseball audience and and being part of the baseball fabric and the game it would just surprise me if he were to walk away from that big of a role at Fox to only do the NFL you buy into that you agree with me or maybe you disagree with me John it all depends on what his goals are. If he is driven, there are people in this industry who are driven and really, really want to be as you know part of everything. Holly Rowe going out there in the middle of cancer treatments to do you know a college gymnastics telecast that thirty-five people are watching. You know that's driven. Not mm-hmm. everybody is driven in that way. The fact of the matter is, you know. If Joe Buck says to himself, wait a second, more money and less work, that is what everyone is after in the whole country, right? More money and less work. So if he's driven in the way that you're describing, and you, you know, I've got to be the voice of Major League Baseball, I can't sit down and relax and listen to Joe Davis do it when I know I should be there. You know, if that if, if he's motivated by that, then that that would, would point to him staying at Fox. But if he's motivated by, you know, I get, you know, I I get to sit at home and not have to travel and not have to do uh, game one and game two of the World Series, then Thursday night football, then games three, four and five of the World Series, then, you know, Sunday football, then game six. I mean, like it's it's madness, right? You know, not everyone, not everyone is built that way. And by the way, that's not a problem. That's just totally fine to not be built that way. Some people are built to kind of 
try to get as much out of life as they can. And for some people that's through work and for other people that's through spending time with family or just, you know, maybe getting a few extra hours of sleep or, or anything. And Eggman was very candid about their friendship, he and Buck, and about how they've gotten through personal situations themselves. I mean, I'll put this out there because it's common knowledge. Joe Buck is divorced from his first wife. It was messy behind the scenes. He's got a new wife, uh, Michelle Beisner Buck. Uh, she, uh, she and Joe Buck have a child. He has children from the other marriage. They, they, you know, you got to manage these things. Troy Aikman, kind of the same thing where he's divorced from the first wife. So you can understand there's some commonality there. It would be unusual if Aikman is there at ESPN with somebody else and Buck is at Fox on Sundays in the NFL with somebody else. I still, I know it's not official. I still try to reconcile like what you brought up on a previous podcast Troy Aikman is going to go from doing maybe as many as five or six Dallas Cowboy games a year, and maybe sometimes even more than that if they're in the playoffs, to primarily doing like one or maybe two on Monday Night Football. Because again, Fox has greater flexibility to have him doing Dallas Cowboy games, including a Thanksgiving Day game, a Thursday night game, whatever they're doing. Uh, so, but maybe, maybe again, after so many years of doing it, that's not as important to him, and he'll move on to the role of Monday Night Football. We'll see. I do find it interesting. Amazon Prime is over here going, hey, wait a minute. We get we got to hire people too. Mm-hmm. Reportedly, Sean McVay, the Rams Super Bowl winning coach, turned them down. John Lewis, when are we going to get to the point in our lives and in careers when we can turn down a $20 million per year offer to do TV, not to coach in yeah. the game, not to play in the game, but to do TV. But apparently that's what McVay turned down. And Amazon Prime is still looking, pick up on that whole point and what they might be up to. Well, you know, are we even sure that Sean McVay is going to be worth all that money? I mean, what has he auditioned? I mean, I'm confused as to what's going on with that. Uh, I think, you know, certainly you got to do what makes you happy in life. And sometimes what makes you happy in life makes you unhappy in life, which is to say, I think TV is a lot easier than coaching. And I think that TV is uh, more lucrative in this situation than coaching. But if he was going to be in TV and thinking to himself, man, I should be out there coaching. I should be, you know, winning a Super Bowl. It'll drive him crazy. So, you know, he decides he's going to stay in coaching and try to, you know, to, to continue with that. Um, you know, when it comes down to it, I think uh, Amazon, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Uh, I know that there's some discussion now about Kirk Herbstreet. I mean, that would be interesting. I, I wonder how Kirk feels about being choice number three. Like, you know, <laughs> the, the Frank Vogel of this situation here where you can't get the ones you want, so you get somebody else. And hey, that worked out. They won a championship in, in the bubble. But uh, ultimately, when you are that third choice, they're going to, I mean, he, he could just go ask his colleagues, Lou Riddick and Brian Greasy, you know, uh, what happens when you're not really the, the people that, the executives are enthusiastic about at the first opportunity, they're going to go get the person they are enthusiastic about. But the thing about McVeigh that's interesting is that we're seeing a lot of these guys turning down big money. We saw Peyton Manning turn down big money. Uh, You know, I'm quite sure that Brady will be offered big money and Mm -hmm. turn it down as well. Uh, Because when it comes down to it, there is a point where you've made enough money to say, I don't actually have to do work. I don't want to do right now. We talk about generational wealth. Well, there's, 
generational wealth already for a lot of these folks. Uh, and they're not looking to become the Koch brothers and be able to, you know, <laughs> affect world politics in that way. They're just looking for the kind of money where there's never going to be another day for the rest of their lives where they or their kids or their kids' kids have to worry about anything financially. And they're already there. So why tack on a whole bunch of extra work that'll stress you out and make you tired and, you know, uh, you don't really want to do when you've already got the money? Uh, of course, in McVeigh's case, he's turning it down to continue doing even more stressful work. But you get the point, right? I mean, ultimately, TV is work. If you don't have to work, you don't want to work. Well, and a perfect example, John Gruden, who I who I dealt with for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, their Super Bowl success, doing his radio show, his pregame show, his postgame show. He would be the first one to tell you that once he was fired off the Buccaneers and began to do broadcasting. He began to experience exactly what you're referring to, life outside of coaching, life outside of football. I can actually have dinner with the family during a football season. I can go to the movie with my wife if I want or a concert, or we can watch a TV show if we want, or we can go on a vacation for a few days during the football season. I can be at my kids' games or their recitals or their whatever it is. That they're, that they're often doing. And once he began to experience that after a year or two, it was, and especially making really good money for ESPN, it, it became, hey, this is, this is a world that I can handle. And by the way, the off-season is the off-season where you're not doing broadcasting in that, in that part of it. And that's, that's what's interesting for the NFL broadcasters in specific. They're making so much money, and they're only working one segment of the year primarily. The rest of the year, you have to do other things and make other side money doing this or that, speaking engagements, uh, different uh, sponsorship things that you might do, celebrity stuff you might do. Enjoy the offseason. Coaches don't get to enjoy the offseason as much. So Gruden, Gruden's a great example on that. Let's bring it back to the discussion, though, uh, of what is ESPN going to do if it's not Joe Buck? And it appears Steve Levy is once again a lame duck. Two years and gone, not unlike Sean McDonough, not unlike Joe Tessitore, probably gone back to college football, just like the two predecessors for whomever ESPN ends up hiring. John, what are your thoughts on all this real quick? Well, you know, for Levy, he's been a good soldier at ESPN for years and years and years. I don't think he ever anticipated being the voice of Monday Night Football. So for him... I mean, I don't want to disrespect him and suggest that he's like, oh, sure, take my assignment away. I don't care. I'm just right. grateful for the opportunity. I don't think that. But realistically, you know, I think it's a little bit different than we've seen before. I don't think he's going to be recorded in his hotel room complaining about how Michael's getting his, his job, right? Like we saw in other situations. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's going to be like that. But, you know, I mean, it's a little disrespectful. I, I think, you know, uh, but again, it's not like, it's not like it's unfair. You know, he's not at the level of a number one NFL broadcaster. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think he has enough pride that he probably would say to himself, well, geez, you know, I think I did pretty well, but it's not, you know, it's also gravy. It's also something that he gets to put on his resume, you know, at the very end of everything, he gets to say, I was the voice of Monday night football, which is a big I deal. That's a big deal, uh, you know, and so um, and ESPN will have enough games, enough Monday night games that he'll probably still continue to call some of them. Right. Remember when ESPN made the insane decision to make Brad Nestler its lead NBA voice. Right. Uh, and Brad did the NBA finals for a year. And then they said this was a dumb decision. And they brought in Al Michaels to do it instead. 
Brad was still calling NBA games that next year. Uh, still did the conference finals. Uh, you, you know, if you've ever seen the Tayshawn Prince play, the block on Reggie Miller, that was Brad Nessler on the call. Right. Uh, right. So Steve Levy might get an opportunity to still do some of those extra Monday night games. And, you know, I mean, again, he gets to say he was the lead voice of Monday night football for a time that he called NFL playoff games. Right. I mean, that's pretty good. Again, He's got, I'm sure, the professional pride where he's not pleased about this situation, but it is what it is. You know, if you can get, I mean, first of all, Ian Eagle might be the single best play-by-play voice in the entire country who does not have a number one gig. If you can get Ian Eagle, I don't know how they would do that, but if you can get Ian Eagle, you get him, right? Uh, Ian Eagle is so good, they could replace Mike Breen with him on the NBA and it would not be a downgrade. Now, I'm a big Mike Breen fan, by the way. I'm mm-hmm. not suggesting they do that. But like that's how good Ian Eagle is. If they could get Ian Eagle, I'd try to get Ian Eagle before I got Al Michaels. Well, and again, Al Michaels in play because his NBC contract is up. So is he going to end up with Troy Aikman? Remember, Michaels and John Madden left that Monday night booth and came to NBC when NBC got Sunday night football. And that's when Mike Tirico stepped in and Tirico really rocketed up uh, in terms of number one. You mentioned number one play-by-play guy. And it's it's since he's left that they've now gone through, it looks like, three different play-by-play announcements. I mean, for so long, Monday Night Football had two guys that had done it for like 40 years or 35 years. Al Michaels on the play-by-play for about 25 of them and Mike Tirico for about 10 of them. Now they're going to have a fourth different guy, John, in about seven or eight years yeah. that's going to sit in that play-by-play chair. So yeah. we'll see what they end up doing. So if you, if you had to uh, gauge this buck mm-hmm. leaves Fox. Yes. No buck leaves Fox. If you no. had to gauge it. No, no, I don't think so. Herb street gets the Thursday night, Amazon gig. Yes. No, maybe, maybe only maybe you're being a politician yeah. on yeah. that one. Al Michaels ends up with, Aikman on Monday Night Football, or it's someone else? Michael's Monday Night Football. Monday, Monday Night Football. So, so, like I said before, I, I would, if I was ESPN, I'd go after Ian Eagle over Al Michaels right. just because Al is not going to be there forever. He's 77. So, you're at most going to get one Super Bowl out of him. You might not even get that. But what if Ian you're ESPN Eagle, and you're thinking the two year thing again? I don't mean to just interrupt to interrupt. What if you're thinking the two year thing again? Get him here, two mm-hmm. years, get it reestablished, or maybe three. Because there's a Super Bowl I mean, looming right for ESPN, right. correct? But that would be, that's lunacy. Why Why do it again? I mean, you've got to, at some point, have a consistent Monday night football. I mean, that's the whole point of hiring Troy Aikman. You don't hire Troy Aikman just to say, okay, let's do another random two years, and then we'll switch it up again. Sure. You know, Troy's worked with Joe Buck his entire career. He's not looking for, you know, 15 different partners in 15 years. So um, I would, you know, with Michaels, I think if I'm Al Michaels, I want the Monday night football job. Because I get to do another, I get to do another Super Bowl. I get to finish my career on Monday nights. My night, I I helped make Monday nights Monday night, um, and you know it's actual TV and not Amazon. Uh, so if I'm Al Michaels and if money is the same either way, I want the Monday night job. But if I'm ESPN and somehow I can get Ian Eagle, and I'm still trying to figure out how that would work because Ian Eagle just signed a new deal with CBS, but the New York Post mentioned him. So if I'm ESPN and I can get Ian Eagle, I'm trying to get Ian Eagle because one, he's going to work well with any partner he has, right? Uh, And, you know, he's young enough that you can build around him for, you don't have to, 
you get Iron Eagle and Joe and Troy Aikman, you don't have to mess around with your Monday night team for another 10 years as you know, barring anything weird happening, you you're, you're set uh, certainly for the rest of this media deal. So to me, that's the direction I'd go in. If I was ESPN, we will wait and see what they have come up with. And maybe it is a package deal. Maybe Joe Buck is about to make that jump that we began talking about uh, earlier in the program. All right. Uh, one more before we get to some love it or leave it to end this sports podcast. That is baseball. Again, as we release the podcast, it is still not known when are they going to come in out of the cold, figuratively and literally, and start up spring training and start up the season. Or are we looking at the start of the regular season being delayed and April games being nixed? John and I don't know that answer. You may know the update on that as we release the podcast, and certainly as the week goes on, you're going to know that answer better. Interesting on the broadcasting front, though, a couple of things. Pick up on things you've written about on SportsMediaWatch.com, John about um, the, the showing of the games, Derek Jeter to maybe be involved now that he's resigned out of his role as part of the ownership group and CEO with the uh, Miami Marlins. What, what about all of this, John? Well, uh, it should be noted that uh, New York Post reported yesterday that MLB is in talks with NBC about a deal that would include games on both Peacock and regular NBC. NBC has not aired any baseball since 2000. Uh, and so that's interesting. Uh, this would be a 100 to $150 million rights fee, you know, chump change. Uh, and it would be split between NBC and Apple. Apple would pay most of it. And some games would air on Apple TV plus, and then NBC's portion would include games on NBC and Peacock. Baseball has got to be careful here. You know, it's an interesting strategy. It's basically the WNBA's strategy, which is let's just put games everywhere. Hey, you know, you can watch games on ESPN, you can watch them on ABC, CBS, CBS, SN, you can watch games on Facebook and Apple and Amazon. And I mean, it's good if you're a league like the WNBA that really needs as much exposure as you can get. But if you're a league like Major League Baseball, you're just going to confuse people or, or maybe baseball is actually closer to where the WNBA is than anyone wants to admit, which <laughs> is that. You know, I mean, they probably they need to find a way to reach those young people that that's correct. have no concept of these games being on. So I, I, I feel like there's a point at which you have too many partners and you're at too many different places. But if the goal is we've got to get our product in front of people's faces, then that might be the right strategy. It's just that's not a strategy you usually associate with Major League Baseball. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that works because baseball is going to have games on ESPN, potentially ABC, Fox, FS1, NBC, Peacock, Apple TV Plus, YouTube, TBS. I forgot about TBS and MLB Network. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's too much. But, you know, that's where baseball is. Saturate the market. I was thinking college basketball because, again, we're in March. And it is spread everywhere from Fox to ESPN to CBS, their cable outlets, their network as part of it. And a lot of the conferences also have their own broadcasts uh, as well, putting them uh, through their own channels, their own social media, et cetera, trying to cater to the fans. And again, in the college basketball world, you're talking about 350 plus teams and you're talking about 36 conferences in men's college basketball. So It's a lot more product than what you're talking about with a major league baseball product. All right. Uh, Derek Jeter, by the way, um, are they theorizing? There's a, there's a theory out there that there might be some version of like the Manning cast involving Derek Jeter. Do you buy that at all here? Would would it, I mean, would it, 
have the ESPN's already announced, correct? They're going to do the A-Rod cast right. with Michael K, right? Is there room for another one of those? Well, remember, the A-Rod cast is only going to be eight out of the 25 Sunday nights, so there's room. This is something Front Office Sports reported yesterday. I don't really know how serious it is. You know, ESPN wants Derek Jeter for TV. Well, does Derek Jeter have any interest at all? Because, you know, you can say, you know, a lot of things about a lot of people, right? I'm sure the New York Knicks want Derek, uh, want Stephen Curry for their roster. It doesn't matter, <laughs> you know? So um, I, I think ultimately the fact that ESPN has interest in Derek Jeter is not overwhelmingly surprising. I'm sure they have interest in Tom Brady. It's all going to come down to Derek Jeter has a lot of money. Does he have any interest? Like you got to keep in mind with Peyton. Peyton was only going to do the work if he wanted to do it. And that meant you're going to have to meet Peyton Manning where he is, which is literally his house, you know, set up a camera in his house he can go down to, you know, wherever, sit down and talk with his brother, which he does anyway. He's stealing mm-hmm. money. He's stealing money right now. And that's what Derek Jeter is going to have to do. Yeah, I'm sure Derek Jeter is not going to say, well, OK, fine, but I have to, you know, uh, be flying to the side of each game and doing tons of research for each broadcast. You know, he's probably going to want to do it in that same kind of format. So right. if that's something, I mean, I guess my thought is for people like Jeter, people like Manning, they're going to have to get paid a lot of money to do Costanza style work, which means the least possible amount of work, right? <laughs> They're going to have to get paid a lot of money to basically work at Kruger Industrial uh, Smoothing or whatever it was called. I thought okay. you were going to say Vandalay Industries. I always was well, a fan of Kruger, that. You're right. Like, Vandalay Industries, say Vandalay Industries. All right, keep going. Yeah. I didn't mean to say But you. no, no, that's actually a better point because Vandalay Industries doesn't even exist, <laughs> exactly. right? So, you know, th- that's what they're going to have to do to basically just give Jeter money and that that's the way it'll be, right? Because I don't think you're going to get him to do that if he's actually going to have to do any work. Okay, uh, we will see how that works out. Let's get to it. Here we go. Love it or leave it. Down the stretch we come. Subject number one on do we love it? Do we leave it? Um, the uh, the spring training thing. I don't. I, you didn't weigh in last week. Do you? Do you at least somewhat enjoy seeing baseball come back? Don't we have to have it? Where do you come down on love it or leave it? If we if we're not going to have at least some spring training, maybe none at all, John, where do you come down on that for baseball? Well, spring training, you know, it's preseason, but it has a different connotation because of the association with spring. People are miserable with the weather and, you know, you have your beautiful spring weather in Florida and all of that. Um, ultimately, I don't necessarily know how important preserving spring training is just from the standpoint of, I think most people aren't paying attention to it. Right. You know, uh, but uh, I think psychologically, it's always nice to hear pitchers and catchers reporting. Yada, yada. I think opening day is a heck of a lot more important as a rite of passage though. Uh, And preserving opening day is going to matter. But the good thing for baseball is it's always going to be opening day, whether it's in April or July or August or, you know, September, right. It's still going to be opening day. And, you know, that will have its little cachet no matter how long it takes before they actually start it. By the way, they're kicking around either a 14-team postseason now for baseball, if not a 12-team postseason, increasing the playoffs. Love it or leave it on increasing the playoffs permanently, which they're apparently set on doing one of those two numbers, either 12 or 14 teams in the new agreement. 
I think it's going to be very interesting to see what impact that has on the media rights deal with ESPN. Is ESPN's deal with the uh, the Major League Baseball pays more money if there's expanded playoffs, but does it pay more money if the expansion is only two teams rather than four? Because right. then instead of having four, uh, I guess it would, if in the fourteen team plan you'd have three uh, wild card series. In the twelve team plan, you would have two wild card series. That's obviously. Uh, two fewer series per uh, or two fewer series combined, one less in, in, in the AL and the NL. So that's obviously, yes, I mean, it's not going to pay as much money for that as they would for the further expanded playoffs. So I, I find it interesting. I, I, I'm going to be curious to see how that works. Um, ultimately, whether or not they'll get the full amount from ESPN that they were planning to get if they actually go with the 12 team plan. Uh Ultimately, 12 teams is still less than any other sport. It's less than the NFL at 14, less than the NBA and NHL at 16. Really, the NBA, you could say it's 20 because of the play-in tournament. Uh, you know, so it's still going to be relatively tough to make the playoffs. Frankly, at this point, why not just rip the Band-Aid off, go to 16 like you will inevitably go to, and just have all the teams play in it uh, and, uh, you know, go from there. Because this... I mean, in order to make the wildcard series worth anyone's while, I don't know that you can stick with a best of three only home games. So it's three days. Eventually, you're going to have to spread it around, make sure the lower seed gets a home game in it, maybe expand it to best of five. And at that point, that's going to be too many games for you to continue to have a buy for the top two seats. So just go 16 teams, put the one and two seed in there, because we all know that's where this is inevitably heading. And, but what about getting done before Thanksgiving as well with this many playoff series and this many teams? I mean, October, much like March is the basket college basketball month. October is the baseball postseason month. You practically can't get it in before November right now, as it is with the number of teams and games. Are we going to play until we're carving the Turkey? Is that what we're well, up to? I mean, they're just going to have to schedule some double headers in July, get the season over in mid September and do it that way. I mean, if it's, you know, I mean, that's just the way it's going to have to be. Or, you know, go later into the year. And people were talking about this during the COVID bubble thing and neutral site, right? You know, neutral site every every November in Arizona and Florida, spring training, there right? You go. Come back around. Uh, uh, the, the Rays had to win the American League Championship playing the New York Yankees and the Houston Astros in an empty San Diego Padres Petco yeah. Park. 3,000 miles away. Didn't play it in Tampa, didn't play it in New York, didn't play it in Houston, played it in San Diego. So yeah. it has it has been done uh, before on that. Hey, just one more thing. I said it last week. I say it again. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds in markets all over West Central Florida, Southwest Florida, South Florida, where Miami and Fort Lauderdale are, of merchants, of restaurateurs, of hotel owners, operators, et cetera, that are losing out on hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for the month of March when they're not playing spring training. They've, they've already begun to lose some of that money for the last week in February and the first week in March as, as this continues. Same thing in Arizona with those small towns uh, all, all in and around Phoenix and Tempe and Tucson where all of the major league uh, teams train. And again, you have pilgrimages of, of fans from all over the country, northern climates that want to come to the warm weather, retirees that want to come see their team, and they come and spend money in these different towns, in these different smaller towns markets, Major League Baseball is doing a complete awful disservice. I, I realize for most that are all over the country, you don't care. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. 
but this is a big deal when tourism is a big part of your state. And this is a big part of tourism. I, I know from hearing, John, I'll just illuminate this again, from hearing a couple of the different uh, people that are involved in terms of restaurant or hotel or chamber of commerce or whatever, for a lot of these businesses, maybe a third, a third of their entire revenue for the year is March for spring training and or spring break. Spring break still goes on. This is a huge month. And for mm -hmm. baseball, again, they appear, you know, the almighty dollar from the TV that you were laying out before, that's all that matters. And for these spring training cities and locations, who cares? And I say once again, blah on that. That's that's yeah. bad for the little guy and bad for those that are, that are wanting it. I know plenty of people, just one more, plenty of people that plan their March, spring vacations, plan their time around coming around to these games. And yet they're, they're looking to eradicate it again uh, in and around well, here. The good thing is that once the owners get the money back from the players, they'll give it all to the small business owners, right? Of course. Been affected. Uh, so that's the way they do business. It's they're, they're mean as guys. they increase their revenue from the TV, they're so willing to share with the players, which is why yeah. we're being sarcastic, aren't we? Which is why yeah. we're in the mess in the first place, because yeah. the players see the billions of dollars that are now flowing in TV wise and saying, we're supposed to get more of that when it comes in. We're the product. We're the players. I do uh, wonder, realistically, whether, I mean, I know it's never going to happen, but, uh, you know, it's not like we haven't had a player-run league before. I mean, they, they, there was one in baseball in 1890. Uh, didn't last very long, lasted one right. year, right? But, I mean, if you go back and read the, the history of it, there's quite a few people who have written about this. Uh, it was doing pretty well vis-a-vis -vis the national league. Like it was kind of touch and go whether the national league would survive uh, the year you had the players league of 1890. And uh, if the players league had been maybe built a little bit stronger in terms of the funding, you know, they didn't, it was a player run league, but they were still getting a lot of their money from businessmen and businessmen don't like to lose money. So they were out after that first year. If they had found a more sustainable plan, you know, who knows if they'd been able to, but the National League would not have survived long term because all the best players were in that player run league. Right. I right. mean, look, I, I know the suggestion of a player run league, a lot of people go, there's no way. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how sustainable this model of every few years the owners are you know, are, are are tanking the the entire organization. I don't know how sustainable that model is. Well, we will uh, we will see when baseball gets it solved or figured out. I disclaim again one more time as John and I are releasing the podcast, you may already know that they came to some kind of agreement. They're going to start up spring training and if they do, that's better than none at all. I just point out again that we're now 2 weeks of of missing out in in florida and arizona and the grapefruit and the cactus league uh, and it was avoidable it is avoidable because uh once again i'm i'm one of those that has talked about this my entire career it is the owners at the root of all of this it is the it is the baseball owners that are the worst of the worst with how they've dealt with this including the collusion stuff john which you know i see you nodding the collusion stuff that they were brought up on federal charges on for having colluded and lost uh, through the federal court system and arbitration on that um, over and over again, the distrust is well warranted that these guys ha have done these heavy handed things. And here we are again with the lockout on that part. Let's move on. Let's get another subject. in. Love it or leave it. College hoopdom is, uh, is well underway for the month of March. 
I know the NBA, you're a bigger fan of the NBA than you are college. I can tell from all the time we've been together. I'm a bigger fan of college than the NBA. The one and done, the one and done I love. It is everything about March, conference tournaments that are coming up, the NCAA tournament. Love it or leave it on the one and done. Being a, being a guy that loves to have series, I can tell you love professional sports and series. What about the one and done real quick? Well, I thought you meant the one and done rule where players play one year and go into the <laughs> NBA, uh, which I actually, I, I don't mind the one and done rule myself. I think it works. Uh, the one and done, uh, you know, single, single elimination. You know, it's very interesting how much people hate it in pro sports and the WNBA uh, and baseball, both of them go, uh, seeming to go away from that uh, single elimination playoff round to best of three. I mentioned in a previous version, uh, previous episode, the WNBA is going to a truly insane format where the high seed will have the first two games at home and then the low seed gets the deciding game three on their home court, which I'm sure will be very fun for those top seeds. Baseball at least going with, uh, you know, the home team with each game. But it's interesting, the, you know, in, in the pro sports, they are completely against it. But in college sports, I think there's an understanding of, you know, it's not about the best team winning in college. It just plainly isn't. It never has been. And so the idea that you can play well all season and then be down to one single game against a poor team, that's not a problem for college, you know? Uh, and I think it, it works. I think it's interesting. I think it, yeah. Along these lines, though, the NFL has been the one and done forever. They don't play series, obviously, because of the brutality of the game, the physical component of the game, and it, and it works, and it works at the at the highest level. College football right behind it with the whole one and done. you got to win at the end of the year and or in the playoff and whatever incarnation of it. And it's fascinating that baseball and even the NBA now have incorporated more of the one and done with the one-game playoff and not a series trying to match the drama of what the NCAA tournament uh, has I am actually against it more in baseball. I believe it should be a series. The NBA and the NHL have much less tradition and they've messed around with their series lengths and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, I, there's nothing that tops the NCAA tournament. I will say this again, probably a couple more times on this podcast. And I say it all the time, everywhere on everything else I do. There's nothing that tops the NCAA tournament in, in terms of everybody being included for a way to get into it. And then everybody understands there are going to be upsets, John. There are going to be the, I'll name them off, Villanova's, Connecticut's, uh, UConn, uh, Kentucky, Kansas, Michigan State, Syracuse, UCLA, Gonzaga. There are going to be team after team after team that gets beat on the first round or the first weekend or, or by the Sweet 16. So I love it. You can tell that's I love it. You're kind, of, you're kind of lukewarm. On well, no, I mean, I, I think that's the entire appeal of the tournament is that the best teams don't win. You don't want to see the best teams win. Nobody wants to see, you know, it, hey, there's no reason why you can't have a year where there are no upsets, where the high seed doesn't win every single sure. game, but that'd be the worst NCAA tournament ever. But I submit, I submit to you that almost every year, and you know this, there are two, maybe three of the best teams that are always at the final four. And yes. usually it's one, two at the most, but usually one, if it's there, of the teams that is the little guy, the, the David against the Goliath, the lesser known, by the time you get to the Elite Eight, the Final Four, it is the best teams because it is simply so much harder for the little guy to win the third game, John, or win the fourth yeah. game and get into the Final Four and get into the championship. Yeah, uh, exactly. If they can, if they are able to. Okay, but I that, think we but, are good. Go ahead, finish up. I was going to say, but that's exactly the secret sauce, right? Because 
a lot of a lot of good teams are going to lose, but you'll still end up with a representative slate of good teams. So you don't want an NCAA tournament with only chalk, but you also don't want one where the final four is, you know, uh, a 15, a 16, a 14 and a 13. Nobody would no. want to watch that. Right. So that's why it works, because you get with the single elimination format a number of upsets. You don't know which of the teams you expect are going to get there, but some of them will. So you'll still have quality games, but you're going to have upsets along the way. All right. So uh, I think we are pretty well good uh, on all of this. Anything else that we did not cover before we get out of here on this edition? Anything else? Not really. You know, um, I am curious the situation with Russia and Ukraine and, uh, you know, what impact that's going to have in terms of, I mean, you know, I mean, it's a fascinating thing. I, I have, there was a little brief period the other day where I was having a similar feeling about that than I did about COVID, right? Where it's this very strange kind of foreign, far away thing. And you're like, well, how much is this going to affect the United States, right? Not to be selfish, but, you know, you, you mm-hmm. kind of have to be life, right? You have to be concerned about how it's going to affect you. Like, how is this going to affect the United States? And then it's kind of not really there, not really there. And then all of a sudden it's there and it's like, oh, right now, I don't know if that's going to happen with this, but you do have this, you know, a raving lunatic already uh, kind of suggesting nuclear this and that. It's right around that time of the year where we've seen it multiple times. You get to March and all of a sudden some weird stuff is going on. We've seen two NCAA tournaments in the last 20 years completely overshadowed by world events, right? 03 with Iraq and mm-hmm. obviously 20 when it didn't even happen. Do I think that that's going to occur with this? I really don't know, but it's something to keep an eye on, you know, something where, I mean, I'm not, I mean, like it doesn't seem overwhelmingly likely that there'll be some kind of life altering events going on. And certainly you know, this wouldn't be like COVID. If anything goes wrong here, we won't be wondering, well, when are we going to play games again? Right. You know, that's not going to be a question. A little higher stakes. And to yes. go back, I still remember this, to go back to 19 years ago, there was a first round of the NCAA tournament in Tampa Bay, where I am, one of the eight, one of the eight regions. And they were told, it, it was amazing. Uh, I mean, the television network, CBS, which was the sole uh, exclusive home of the NCAA tournament, was told by the U.S. government and the back channels, essentially, we're going to be starting the invasion in and around the time, you know, it's no secret in and around the time that the NCAA tournament is going to begin on that Thursday and Friday. And the first round sites were told and alerted as well. You may not be playing on that Thursday or Friday. If this is going on, we may move it off of that day uh, or we may move it even off of that weekend, et cetera. I still remember that time uh, where, and again, it was different because that was American troops and American involvement and American risk of loss of life, uh, et cetera, with that in a foreign situation. Uh, no matter what your political feelings were about what we were doing with Iraq or whatever, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of American soldiers that were involved. We're not, and I know you're saying this, you didn't say it, but you know this, uh, that we're not to that point with the situation right. with Russia and Ukraine that could make it... Um, can make it much different. We'll we'll see how it progresses. We'll see if Vladimir Putin eventually backs off with the with the world clamping down economically and otherwise, or what happens within within his own country where there are obviously massive protests. We'll see. We don't know those answers, right? We're not here to solve that. Yeah. I don't think we can right. solve it before we're done. 
Can we? I don't no, think we can. Probably not. Uh, you know, I just think uh, it would be a wonderful fantasy to be able to just enjoy sports without any world events intervening. But obviously, that's just not the way it's going to be. You know, realistically, it's never been that way. Even in, uh, I mentioned last week, the sugar high of the 90s. You know, you had NBA games, NBA playoff games being moved out of L.A. due to the L.A. riots, right? You know, I mean, it's just never, it's just never... You know, the whole stick to sports thing, the whole, oh, man, no one wants politics in sports. Well, nobody wants politics in sports, right? But the fact of the matter is, politics is part of everything. Uh, And so uh, it would be a wonderful, wonderful thing uh, to just say, you know, I'm not paying any attention to the world. I'm just going to watch sports. But you can't you're not going to be able to do it. You know, uh, it's uh, it just keeps intruding. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully it won't come to anything significant. But uh, it's it's another one of those things where you say to yourself, well, how exactly is this supposed to end? How, How exactly does this and because you could say, OK, well, we'll just back off, let him, you know, do what he wants to do because he's got nuclear weapons. But then he's not going to stop. He's going to say, oh, wow, really? You're just going to let me do whatever. OK, then I'm going to go take Belarus, too. Right. Uh, so we can't stop that way. Then if you try to stop him, uh, then he could try to blow up the entire world, too. Right. So it, how, how does this end? Uh, it doesn't seem like this ends in a way that won't impact everyday life in a fashion that I think everyone's sick and tired of after the past few years. All right. Well, we'll see. Not that that's not that that's the most important part of this, obviously. Right. No, but sure. We'll but. see as the days go on here that uh, if the if the measures being used have the intended effect and the Ukrainian people rising up against them has the intended effect. Uh, we'll find out and we'll find out what if any effect it will have on our world the sports world and otherwise i do know this you can read and keep up with more with john lewis on sportsmediawatch.com we remind you again to find us through apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts. search us follow us subscribe to it leave us a review Uh, always love the breakdown early on in the week john have a good rest of your week we're now to the month of march and uh, we'll see if we get some good news on the baseball. We know we have the NCAA tournament looming. We've got a lot of good things that are happening. Let's hope it continues along. John, thank you for the time here. Hey, no problem. Thank you. And we thank you for being with us on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.